Hello, and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute, and I am delighted to welcome you to a very special edition of YCT Matters, where we are going to go straight into the belly of the beast. We have a special guest for you here today, Andy Markowski. And Andy Markowski is the principal of State House Associates, and he is a very trusted advisor of Yankee Institute. He provides us with legislative counsel and advice and works with us at the Capitol, where he has deep connections and great knowledge and insight because he spends a lot of time up there. And so, as I say, he is a brave man and a wise man. And I don't know, I guess what I would say is he's seen some things. And so, We are delighted to welcome Andy to the show and to try and learn whatever it is that he feels that we can bear to hear, Um, because as I say, he's seen some things. So welcome, Andy. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Carol. Appreciate you having me here. Uh, Well, absolutely. And as you can all even just hear from the intonation, it's the laconic tones of a man who, as I say, has seen some things. So uh, Andy, tell me how you decided to settle on a career of, you know, spending a lot of time at the Capitol, working with legislators on on behalf of the various uh, people you counsel, and, you know, how you thought you might be strong enough to spend a career at the State House. <laughs> Great question. I'll say first off, because people, you know, ask me this usually, you know, high school students or others, and they say, how did you decide you wanted to become a lobbyist? And I said, well, no one ever says I want to become a lobbyist. <laughs> um, I, I guess you could say I'm a, I'm a recovering lawyer. Um, so lawyer and lobbyist, that's two out of the three. And uh, I work with legislators, some of whom are lawyers as well. So lawyer, lobbyist, legislator, I guess we all kind of have a interesting breed amongst ourselves. So we like to spend a lot of time together, um, whether we realize it or not. So I, um, Andy, I just got to tell you, everyone listening to this podcast just started to twitch. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully they didn't tune out yet. Right. Yet being the operative word. So yeah. Okay. We're going to get, this is going to get very interesting people. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So if you would have asked me, you know, 25 years ago, what I would have thought I would be doing for my career, I would have told you I would have been a physician. Um, interesting. What kind? Neurology, uh, dermatology. Um, I, I, I went to college. So uh, now you deal with a different kind of fungus. A Go different ahead. kind of fungus, yeah. Different kind of disease at times. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I was going to be a, uh, a doctor. I, I was a biology pre-med major in college initially. Uh, had never, you know, really delved into politics much or government much. Um and it was just one of those, you know, you go to a small liberal arts college, you have to take a variety of courses. I took a political science course. And, you know, as, as so many things go along the way, it's, uh, it's sometimes not the, the subject matter that uh, influences you, but it's, it's the person. So having a good teacher, a good professor, a good mentor, yep. someone to inspire you. And uh, that was the case uh, with a, a professor of political science at Union College and I got the bug. Um, yep, and then you never really get rid of it. So now you end up with the sort of the innards of the Hartford State House and the legislative process as opposed to the human body. Uh, yeah, that's, so, that's a good way to look at it. And so let's let's talk about that. I mean, um, 
you know, people do have uh, obviously a sort of view of of lobbyists, but I mean, tell us a little bit about what you actually do, because I think people do have this view that, you know, you probably spend your life in, you know, a smoke filled room doing everything but shoving dollar bills across the table. And I mean, actually, at least with you, I can't answer for the rest of them. (laughs) But with you, that's not actually what you do. No, not at all. And there's a, you know, fairly popular meme out there on the internet that um, I think provides some good imagery akin to what you just referenced. And that is, you know, the public's perception of lobbyists is handing over wads of cash and whining and dining and spending time out on the golf course. Um, I, you wish. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I don't do any of those things. Um, really, the, the profession of lobbying in you know, the year 2022 and in recent times is uh, the job of, of information brokerage. Um, you are receiving vast amounts of information and you're brokering that out to clients, disseminating information. And um, you know, it's a lot of time waiting. You sit in public hearings you take notes, you're gathering intelligence. Um, you know, it's a lot, uh, it's, it's somewhat similar to, you know, some of the Norman Rockwell paintings of, you know, New England local government back in the day at the old town meeting where, you know, you sit in a room for two or three hours and you hear everyone speak and you watch the debate. Um, and from there, it's an opportunity to not just gather information, um, but then you have those happenstance interactions uh, where you can, you know, chat up a lawmaker and say, you know, I appreciated the point you just made. Um, you know, let me tell you, my client wanted to reiterate that. Or perhaps, you know, contrary, you know, so-and-so legislator, I heard a witness say this. I wanted you to know that I think their facts might be incorrect. Let me provide you some additional information. So, you know, if you speak to any lawmaker, and I don't want to put words in, in any of their mouths, um, but they will tell you that lobbyists are indispensable. Um, because, you know, here in the state of Connecticut, we have 187 state legislators. They all serve on different committees. They all come from different professional backgrounds. They're busy people dealing with a lot of information. They are... And they're really kind of, uh, at least relative to what you see on the federal level, they're certainly... um, I'm not advocating for more staff, but I'm just saying relative to the amount of information they get, you do provide sort of uh, an information gateway to them. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, They're generalists as well. So they rely on lobbyists and the interests that lobbyists represent to provide them credible, accurate information. And, you know, I think to some extent we act as an adjunct to staff in, in a sense. You know, here in Connecticut, Um, You know, a a state senator will have their own legislative aide, maybe a press person. Uh, The average state representative is sharing an aide with a handful of other um, colleagues. Um, You know, again, technically, it's a part-time legislature here in Connecticut. That's another difference from the federal level as well as some of our surrounding states. And, um, And, you know, one of the things that I was interested in when I first saw what you did is um, it reminded me in some ways of uh, what old shoe leather journalists did, aside from the advocacy piece. And unfortunately, now we see too many journalists being advocates, so maybe it isn't even all that different in in a certain way. But uh, in terms of the information, you know, you do. You wait for information, you develop relationships, and those relationships are incredibly important. 
and um and and those and and that's how you were able to gather information that's how you're able to learn what you learn and that's why it matters actually um whom organizations choose to work with because the quality of your relationships really does determine the kind of information you're able to access and and whether or not the people you work with or you know get good information about what's going on yeah i think that's right and you know it's uh, like like any profession but but particularly um one where your uh work product and your reputation relies on your credibility whether it's journalism as you said whether it's you know lobbying uh you know law you know anything where one's trust and credibility can come into question um you're done so it it's it's not just building those relationships with with lawmakers but developing a reputation where people know they can count on you uh they can they can trust the advice they get from you and uh as a lawmaker they can trust the information you right. provide whether they like it or not um if the information is what it is if facts are facts if you can back it up then that's what matters um and i just like to say right here sometimes i don't like the information i get from you about what they're about to do up there and and i'll say as as <laughs> as an advisor he um, cracked a smile i just want you to know I, because I, he I knows did. what i'm talking about no it's true and and you know i'll say that as as a as a business person as an advisor that's one of the more difficult things to have to do sometimes is you know, not tell a client what they want to hear, but tell them what they need to hear or what they should hear. And that I can't just go over the wall with hot iron, hot irons and hot oil to make it happen. <laughs> no, no. And uh, especially not the the past two years operating in kind of the, the strange format that we did yes, uh, yes. in response to COVID and so forth. So. Um, so, yes, ladies and gentlemen, he's a man of patience and judicious temperament, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've seen some unusual and interesting things at the Capitol over your, the course of your career. I mean, one of them, uh, I would think, is uh, is the, the time that unexpectedly a Republican budget passed. I'm doing the math because I remember um, what grade my children were in, if you can believe it. So it would be uh, four years ago, four and a half years ago. So Okay, everybody do the math. That would be fall. twenty fall of twenty seventeen, wouldn't it? Yes, it was the fall and, and it was the fall because uh the it was the, the budget I remember was... we were getting a golden retriever. So <laughs> believe me. I, I got my facts right it's, on this it's one. Seared in your memory. It is seared yes. for a number of reasons. Uh, yeah. It was uh it was September and then well it was. It, it was late, sep late it was, September. Or, yeah, or mid September of 2017. Yeah, that was a strange time. Absolutely. Um, you know, at that point, I had been, you know, working at the Capitol, lobbying for well over a decade, and uh, had never seen anything like it. Um, you know, we had seen legislative sessions end without a budget and quickly go into a special session. And usually within a month or two, you know, the budget passes one way or another. Um, that was a different year. Um, I was not around during the uh, income tax days, so to speak, of the early 1990s. Um, yeah, you're a little young for that. Yeah, a little bit. I was still still in high school then. Um, but what I had, uh, you know, in speaking with people who were around then, there were some similarities. Not, not a lot, but some in terms of the balance of power 
uh, and in terms of things being delayed to a point where it, it's a wild card. Um, and you know, I heard I heard the the current speaker Matt Ritter uh, this year. Oftentimes, when he was being questioned by the media about, you know, will the legislature finish on time this year? Will they have a budget? And and he was vowing to get it done. He said one thing that that he had learned, and remember his his father was also a speaker of the house, um, was that when things go into overtime, so to speak, when things get outside of the confines of the normal legislative session, uh, even though one political party might be in power in the legislature and the governor's office. Um, Things happen and becomes like a jump ball. A, a jump ball is kind of a wild card, um, and and to some extent, that's what happened in in 2017. And the longer things got delayed, the crazier things were. When when I say crazy, I mean some of the rumors about what types of voting blocks were forming, um, what types of policy ideas were going to be negotiated and make it into the final product in order to get those votes, and. You know, I, when when people ask me what goes on at the Capitol, um, I, I sometimes laugh and, you know, I hearken back to my days as a kid and, and I, I think of world wrestling entertainment, WWE. <laughs> and I remember being about eight or nine years old and going to a match with my father it was at the Springfield Civic Center. And we walked in and we, we managed to somehow get backstage access and you're an eight or nine year old kid. Here I am, a grown up, you know, wrestling fan. You go backstage, and all of a sudden, all the good guys and all the bad guys are hanging out together, playing cards, oh back slapping, best friends. It was like the curtains were off, and right. you realize it's a scripted product to some extent. It's yep. entertainment. Yep, I had the same experience once when the cameras kept rolling a little too long on a Sunday show, and I watched those things religiously as a relatively little kid. I think I was like 13 or something. And they just took too long to go to commercial. But the the participants thought that the segment was over and they all just like broke character and all started chatting and laughing. And I was like, what is happening? They're not really mad at each other. Go ahead. Uh, uh, no, that's that's absolutely right. And to, to some extent, I, I hate to say this, but I think there is an element of truth to it. To some extent, there's an aspect of that to the legislative process. In other words, there are certain floor debates on certain issues where the outcome is almost predetermined. Um, and some of the points that are going to be made are somewhat scripted. Um, and when it comes to budget votes, particularly with one party dominating or depending on the issues, um, you kind of know what that outcome would be. Well, that was not the case in 2017. And even when that vote came up in September, I, I remember um, being there and all of a sudden... Um, a, yeah, what was the feeling on the floor? I mean, it must have been just like electric. It, like it was electric. It was a surprise. It was, you could hear a pin drop um, in what is normally a, you know, echo chamber, literally at the state Capitol in terms of, um, you know, watching the debate from outside the, the Senate chamber. And, and uh, a senator, um, I believe it was Paul Doyle, uh, who's no longer in the state Senate. Uh, he had represented uh, Rocky Hill and some of the surrounding towns at the time. And uh, he, he stood up and when he started speaking, you could tell that it wasn't a, a pro forma uh, scripted address. Scripted address. It yeah. was I'm 
feeling the way I feel. I've analyzed this the way I've analyzed it. I'm going to vote not how people thought. And that was sort of the first moment. And then from there, the dominoes sort of started to fall and another senator got up. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly recalling the sequence correctly, perhaps, but I think it was Joan Hartley out of Waterbury. Sure. Uh, She's a well-known moderate. Absolutely. And, and, and she spoke along the same lines and someone else. And so here you go. The, uh, a budget vote was defeated. Um, uh, and that really reset all the pieces. It reset the table for negotiations and bringing the Republicans back to the table, back to the room. Remember, they had a tie in the state Senate at the time. Right. Um, and ultimately, uh, it was, I want to say, November by the time the final product passed. And and that was Connecticut's, I don't, I don't want to say first, but first in modern times, true bipartisan budget. Yep. Be nice to see more of them, wouldn't it? It would. It would uh, for a variety of reasons. Yes. Yes. Um, so, I, I mean, I just I would think that would be one of those moments that would make some of the long hours of tedium worth it. It, it does. Um, you know, I'll say this. I've been doing this for a while now, but, um, you know, maybe I'm just kind of a, you know, government nerd. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you walk into the state capitol, yeah. uh, there, there's just a sense of. Occasion, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to say awe. I think you had it. I think occasion is the right word. And and you know you're in a place where, where things happen. It's important. Uh, there's a lot of history in that building. Yep. You know, it's it's magnified a hundred times over in Washington, D.C. Um, at, 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 the, at the U.S. Capitol, of course. But to some extent, what goes on in, in state government, I think, has a, a far greater impact on people's lives, too, than, than what goes on in the federal government. Absolutely. Um, and one of the things that I always appreciate is how carefully um, you observe uh, state ethics laws and how, you know, we can always count on you and um, to make sure that we are up to date and observe them all. But one of the things that always cracks me up is um, is the, the ethics rules and, um, you know, the whole cup of coffee thing. Uh, and so can you tell everyone like a little bit about how, um, you can't really even almost buy a legislator a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, and I just, and the thing that always makes me laugh about that is it's like, I just want to know the legislator who could be bought for a cup of coffee. <laughs> I mean, I just want to know who that person would be because like how desperate would someone have to be for their vote to be available in exchange for, for a coffee. Especially um, the, the coffee in the legislative office building. Right, um, which is <laughs> not known for its excellence. Not not necessarily, no. Um, you know, the lobbying, uh, legislative advocacy is a regulated profession. Um, and Especially in Connecticut. Especially in and Connecticut. And how it's regulated. And it's, it's regulated on the premise of transparency and disclosure um, with some restrictions thrown on top of it. So, you know, to your point of, uh, you know, anything that is considered, quote unquote, a gift, anything of value that a lobbying entity, uh, whether that's that's myself as a representative of an organization or an organization such as Yankee Institute, 
Um, anything provided by an organization or an advocate of value uh, to a public official, and not just an elected official, but that could be staff person, it or could the head be of an agency, head of an agency, um, governor's office. I mean, you name it. Anyone who who works in or for state government. Um, is either a prohibited or restricted transaction or otherwise has to be disclosed. And the whole premise behind that, of course, is people want to know who is spending money to influence the process and are they spending anything uh, beyond, um, I guess, you know, the professional fees and services that go with influencing that process. But, you know, is it a cup of coffee? Is it taking someone out to a baseball game? Is it going on a golf junket? Um, you know, what are those things that are occurring? I'm just shocked to hear that they don't consider our time itself a gift. It really should be. I mean, it really I, should just, be. I must say. Um, and so is there anything else that you think that people would not suspect about the way you spend your days? Like, you know, the information brokering and the ear to the ground and um, even just generally, you know, counseling um, counseling your, your clients. I mean, the thing that I always think is really interesting about lobbyists is it's very tempting in a sense for people to, I don't know, not hate lobbyists, but sort of kind of talk them down. And in my view, it's always a little bit of a don't hate the players, hate the game. Um, because the thing that's unfortunate is when you have a government with so much power and so many intricate laws and regulations having to have representatives and people that full-time have to advocate for your interests and listen to sort of keep you safe from government incursion. I mean, I'm just grateful we have capable people who are willing to do that because heaven knows the unions have them and heaven knows every special interest has them. And, um, and it's just important to have people who have the specialized knowledge, the specialized history, the time, and the ability um, to do it. And the way I always think about it is uh, Yankee Institute has always been proud to be able to go and represent the interests of people who otherwise don't have people to speak for them and represent them. That is the people who are working hard and trying to make a life for themselves and their families here in Connecticut, um, and just do what's right, earn a good living, take care of themselves, take care of their families, and hopefully stay here if they want to, to be with their children and grandchildren and thrive and prosper. And um, we're just grateful we have people like you who help us with that agenda. Well said, Carol. And, and that's one of the reasons why I, I love working with Yankee Institute. Um, you know, the best analogy I, I can give to people sometimes is, you know, uh, if, if, if someone has to go to court, uh, whether it's on a criminal matter or a civil issue, um, yes, you know, we do allow pro se representation in this country, meaning, you know, someone doesn't have to appear in court without a lawyer. Uh, most people don't do that. Most people will hire a professional advocate, someone who knows the law, someone who knows the judges, someone who knows the procedure. Uh, it's the same thing when you're dealing with government and the legislature. Uh, you need someone who's a professional advocate, someone who knows the process, the policy. Um, we had 999 bills introduced in the state of Connecticut this year. This as, was, I, as I say, don't hate the players, hate the game. You know, you know, th and this was the short session. 
999 <laughs> bills, you know, I read them all. Uh, that, that's one of the unglorious, you know, parts of the job yeah. of being a lobbyist. Uh, yeah. you, you read them all, you look for things, you, you become adept at understanding legislative language and, and figuring out, you know, what is someone really trying to do here with this bill? How can this be crafted in a way to make it better? How uh, does this impact, you know, the people of Connecticut, uh, the interests that Yankee represents? And what really and what is really likely to be a problem or a benefit and what is just sort of their taking up space? Yeah. Um, you know, as because I said, there's a lot of stuff that people throw in there, but it really doesn't mean it. And, and, and the legislative process as a whole is is meant to filter things out. It's it's meant to be a deliberative process. Now, you can argue how well that process works in Connecticut and at the federal level and in other states. But, you know, as I mentioned, 999 bills this year, 170 passed. Right. Um, that's, you know, less than 20 percent. Thank heaven. It, absolutely. And and. Interestingly enough, this year saw fewer bills introduced and fewer bills passed than um, an equivalent short session in 2018. You can't really look at 2020 because the legislature shut down early. Well, because as they say, even lawyers, when they have to go to court as uh, either a plaintiff or a defendant, they take a lawyer with them because of the old saying, a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. And, uh, and so since we are firm believers uh, in that old judge is saying that no man's life, liberty, or property is safe when the legislature is in session, Andy, we are very grateful that we have you as uh, an ally and uh, a partner to, to uh, work with us and advise us during the legislative session. So thank you for all you do for us. Uh, We appreciate you being with us. And so uh, thanks for spending a little time with us today. Happy to be here, Carol. I appreciate you and everything that Yankee Institute does. So, And we are grateful for you, our listeners, and we thank you for having joined us for this edition of YCT Matters. Uh, Join us next week. We uh, thank you and uh, see you again soon. I'll show you around.